right, it's so great to be here. Go ahead and have a seat if you're in the room. If you're in your living room, you can have a seat as well. And uh, kick your feet up if you're at home. Don't do it here, okay? Uh, appreciate that. So glad that you're with us. We're in this like hybrid thing right now. So we're going to have services for the coming weeks, who knows how long, where we're going to be having in-person, on-site services. And so it's awesome that you're here. You guys don't have to be outside in your car. So they've been watching outside every week. Uh, just to be close to the place that where everything's happening here. So it's been wonderful. So if you're online, just so glad that that will be the other way that for several weeks, maybe forever, we'll be doing uh, awesome services for our online congregation as you're joining with us. So we're just so glad that you're here. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I've been looking forward to saying that. Uh, to having people in the room. And so I just want to welcome you and just so glad that you're with us today and uh, so glad. I just want to say one thing before we begin, uh, just totally off cuff here, is I just want to thank our church uh, in so many ways, uh, from our staff to our volunteers, is how we have weathered the last 15 weeks with grace, with unity, with love, with vision and mission. I just love it that how we've done that so well. And so we're ready today and made lots of improvements in uh, what happens, especially for our online congregation, as they're able to watch and have an awesome experience. We've learned a lot in the last uh, uh, several weeks about some things that we could do to make that experience better. And hopefully we'll keep doing that as we go. But would you just do me a favor, those in the, here in the room, would you just say a thank you to all the people that worked really hard to make sure that you have a safe environment to be in so the building has been cleaned and you have we have all these ways that you can come in and leave and i just want to ask you to please honor that for everybody that would be wonderful and so here it is on father's day and it was father's day that we got to meet here in our building for the very first time and so it's just a kind of a coincidence that that happened i think it may be a god thing as we get to be back together and so it's wonderful to do that uh, as well that we get to be here again for the very first time in quite some time and thank you so much for your faithfulness to watch online and thank you for your faithfulness to be here today it really does mean a lot it really does and your encouragement the notes that you write uh, have been very, very helpful. So dads, I just want you to know, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk to dads today. And some of you are going, wow. You know, so you're already sweating. You're thinking it was going to be the talk you're going to get today. Because uh, I know that dads, uh, they typically, you know, we think about church. We think that churches do a pretty good job of honoring and welcoming moms and celebrating them. And so, you know, basically moms leave at the end of the day. And the, kind of the message that they got was, moms, you're awesome. Okay, that's a typical Mother's Day, right? And the way it feels. Well, many times, this is what dads tell me, is they say that they come and they feel like the church did a good job of trying to honor them. But then when they leave, they feel that the message is this. Dads, get with it. <laughs> dads, get with it. Well, that's not what we're going to do today. So dads, I just want to tell you that wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, that you can sit back and you can relax. And hopefully if you're at home, you actually had someone make you breakfast and you're ready for this. Just don't snooze from the pancakes. Okay. So I just want to say that. And so I, I just want to tell you, we're not going to be assessing how you're doing at fathering. Today in our series, we're going to look another time at one of the names of God that we've been looking at, and we're going to consider a very important name of God that was not actually mentioned in the um, Old Testament, and we didn't even hear about it until we got to the New Testament. 
So all the other names that we've looked at in this series, and then we're going to have a couple more names as we follow up in this series as well, as that we've looked at is we've talked about uh, names from the Old Testament. So we've talked about Yahweh and what does that mean and Elohim, uh, Adonai, uh, Jehovah Jireh. We've talked about uh, Jehovah Shalom. Uh, and then Mark had the really hard names last week that I'm not even going to try today uh, as we do that as well. But we've had all these names that have been from the Old Testament. So I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages up to this point in this series, that they're all important. I want to encourage you to go back and you might catch those as well. And so I just want to say, here's why it's so important what we've been doing. Here's why. It's our belief that as we know God better, we can handle life better. It's our belief. As we know God better, we can handle life better. As we grow deeper in our understanding of God, we can grow stronger in our courage to face the chaotic times in which we live. And would you just agree that it's chaotic? It's chaotic. Folks, we live in a season. It's got all kinds of surprises and chaos. And in the middle of this, it's pinching us. Remember, we've always said this, that when you're squeezed, what's on the inside is what comes out. And so what's coming out of some of us is not quite that beautiful. You know, it's not quite what we thought would come out when we were squeezed. It's true with me. It's true with me in my home. It's true with me in my relationships. That there's times that I'm like, where did that come from? And I just realized that the tensions and the pressure is so strong on us during this season that we've been in. And it's showing us who we are as a nation, as a community, as a church, and as followers of Jesus. And the foundation for understanding who we are, we believe, is, is understanding who God is. And today, we're going to get to learn about the fact that God is Father. Now, in the Old Testament, the term Father is used only 15 times. And when it's used in the Old Testament, it's usually referring to uh, the, the, God being the Father of the nation of Israel. So it's not intimate. It's like, you know, he's the president of the United States. So it's kind of like he's the leader, and he's the one that is, you know, that they would bow down to and that they would worship. But it wasn't an intimate term. It wasn't personalized to the individual. It was just for the nation and how he would do for them. But then beginning in the New Testament, and specifically beginning with Jesus Christ, of the 245 times that the word Father is used in the New Testament with a whole other angle, Jesus uses the word Father 156 of those times. So Jesus has come from the Father to earth, and he is introducing to us, to humankind, another way of looking at God. So look at this verse from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians said this, 2 Corinthians 6, 18. It says, please check video source beside me. So that must mean there's a problem in the back. Okay, so here we go. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you. So that's his promise that he's making to us, especially as we now know Jesus Christ and we're him. So the New Testament view of God through Jesus is that God adopts us and that he is our loving father. Today what we're going to do is we're going to consider the name that Jesus gave for his father, it's only used three times in the New Testament, one by Jesus, and it begins with Abba. It begins with Abba, and then the second part is Pater. So it's Abba, Pater. Would you say that with me? Abba, Pater. Okay, so that's the way it's pronounced. I actually went to the internet and made sure exactly how it's pronounced. Abba, 
Pater, so we can know that, and that's exactly what we're looking at today. And here's what it means, and I did a lot of work to narrow this down to this meaning. It means dearest father. It means an intimate term, dearest father. And so when you think of it, Abba, Abba, you know, some people say that that, you know, it's used by Jewish children as they call out for their father. And so a girl would be wanting to call out to her dad and she would go, Abba, Abba, Abba. And so it'd be like daddy or papa or something like that, a term of endearment. And when you add it to pater, father, it gives us this idea of the dearest father, the one that I can count on and the one that I can trust. So it's used three times. Jesus was first. I just put all three here just so we could just read it today and see what it says. Mark 14 says this, going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, so he's talking to his Abba Pater here, if possible that the hour might pass from him. So they're really intimate. Abba, Father, he said, I know you. I know that you love me. And I know that everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he was submitting to his dearest father because he knew that his dearest father had not only his best in mind, but our best in mind through what he was about to do. And he's calling up because he understands that God has the power to change things. God has the power to make it different. God has the strength. God has the, the knowledge. God has all to change the way that things are working, but he was submitting to him as his eternal father. And then the other two times, and one we're going to look at in depth today, but Romans 8, Paul writes and says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And we're going to come back and take that section apart and look at this today as we talk about him being our loving father and us being able to embrace him in that way. And then the other time it's used is Galatians 4. These are just three times it's used. Just three times. Because you're his sons. Let me just be clear here. Is that when it says sons here, it's not saying that women aren't included. And so we just need to understand that in the day that the Bible was written, that it, the, in order to have an heir, a family had to have a son. And so when he talks about sons throughout these Romans 8 and then Galatians 4, he's referring to the, the role of a son as an heir. And so the role of a son as an heir is not saying that women aren't included. He's just saying that the son is what that they based their hope in, that they would have that. So in our day, we would say that this would be the children. It's how we would actually say this as we look at the way it's written. So, sons, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, for you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you an heir also, also an heir. So, let's just go back to Romans 8, okay? We're going to take apart Romans 8 for just a little bit. We're going to look at this, and we're going to talk about how knowing God's love, how it can help us to face the difficulties of life. And the first one is this, when God is my father, I have a new identity. I have a new identity. Now, identity is like the buzzword of our culture. Uh, it's, everything is about our identity right now. Uh, in fact, I'm going to mess this up, so I probably shouldn't even try. 
Google has a thing called Ingram. And if you go on that, you can uh, find out every time a word was used from um, 1800 to 2008. If you put in identity, it goes like this. Until about 2000, like this. It just shoots up like this. It's, it's the main thing that our culture is focused on today, is identities. One of the main words, think themes that is being written about. It's one of the, and because it's one of the deepest needs we have, we come to realize that, to know who we are and know the value that we have. At some level, we are all, we are all engulfed in our search for, for um, identity at some level. For some, that identity is formed around their vocations. You know, it's just when we, especially guys, we don't know how to ask someone who they are without asking them what they do. And because it gives us a way to understand them a little bit more. It's not that we're measuring them, but it gives us a way to understand them more. For others, they see their significance through their relationships. And so their identity is based on, you know, that I'm a mom or I'm a dad or other ways that I relate. I have these number of friends. I have this large family or have this small family. However you look at it, it's based on their relationships. Some define themselves by their appearance. And so they're always trying to make sure that everything's perfect, that, you know, that they hide all things that would show that, that there are imperfections. And by the way, we all, we all have our imperfections, right? And so the only place that we have perfect people would be on social media somewhere, and then um, that we all know that that's not real. And so they also define themselves by their financial status, um, by their scholastic achievement, uh, by their business success in different ways. Others allow them to be defined by what culture says. So I should be like this. This is your identity. Oh, I never thought about that. So I think I'll change. I think I'll become something different than I always thought I was. And so we look at that and we say we're formed by culture. See, at the core, though, what we're doing in this search for identity is we're looking for acceptance, love, significance. And all the, those are all what we're looking for in, in this search for identity. We live in a culture that's obsessed with image and reputation. Image and reputation. And folks, just want to say this, in case you haven't figured this out yet. If you base your identity on your image and your reputation, just know that you are building on an illusion that cannot be maintained. It cannot be maintained. So if you don't believe me and you're over 50, just go look for an old high school picture. <laughs> right? Can't be maintained. Say, I wish that could have been maintained. But you see, things look totally different now. And if you're like me, you'll look at there and go, wow, did I ever let it go? <laughs> I've changed a lot since then. So for many people, their image or reputation is what everybody thinks of them. Folks, that's just not an accurate representation of who we are. So um, how do we find our identity then? Well, I just want to give you a couple of ideas. And one comes from a book that I've recommended. We've talked about. It's called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. And he talks a lot about identity in this book. And here's what he says. He says, in order for God's love to be truly transformational, it must become the basis of our identity. Our identity is who we experience ourselves to be, the I each of us carries within. goes on to say, an identity grounded in God. So here's how we do it. Grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God, deeply loved and cherished by God. So 
the identity you get from God, the reason I'm just wants to really get this, the identity you get from God, I'm talking really to young people, I'm talking to middle-aged people, I'm talking to older people. We all need to hear this. The identity you get from God is far greater than any identity that you can attain from illusion, from image or reputation. So that means regardless of your external measures, Regardless of your failure or success, the very foundation of your identity, if you base it in what God says about you, doesn't change. So I just want to encourage those of you who are just graduating from high school, maybe those of you who are in college, those of you who are young adults, you're watching this right now, just please, please make it a point to determine where your identity is. And it's in what God says about you. And this is what it says in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's our identity when we're in Christ. We are the children of God. He says, I hope you get this. Paul's saying, I want you to get this. Your identity is based on what God says about you. On what God says about you. And what God says about you is that you are his child because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and continues to do in you. The identity God wants us to all walk out of here with understanding today is that I am a child of Abba Pater, I am a child of Abba Father. When you're born again, he becomes your heavenly father. Ephesians 1, Paul writes and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, because he loves us, embracing a stronger love. He predestined us for adoption, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So folks, no matter what happens, no matter what changes, no matter what anyone else might say about you, no matter how anyone else may measure you, your identity can remain unshaken when you build your identity on Abba Pater. Abba Father, and what he says about you, that you are his adopted child in relationship with him. And God wants to give you that identity. It's free. He wants us to have a new self that's greater than our image or reputation. So listen to this, then, if we understand it. Our identity is not based on something we achieve. Our identity is based on something we receive. So we receive it from him as a free gift of grace Image or reputation, it's built on what we do or what we achieve. But our identity, when we come to Christ, is based on what Jesus did for us and that we can be free in him. Now, there's another book I want to mention that's benefited millions of followers of Jesus. It's called Abba's Child by Brendan Manning. And this is what he says. He says, divine yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. The most important thing. I know this is hard because we have an enemy that wants to give us all kinds of other messages about how we don't measure up. In fact, he conditions us that we're walking down the street and we think when people look at us, they're thinking bad things about us just from even seeing us. But what we have to, so we have to condition ourselves in another way to be able to say, when I'm walking down the street, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me, as long as I'm not being a jerk, what else thinks about me, that I am his beloved. I am dearly loved. And it's only by taking, seeing ourselves from God's vantage point and taking our cues from him alone that we can ultimately rest 
whew, rests in the identity that he said he has given us. Okay, second idea is this. When God is my father, I have a new intimacy. I have a new intimacy. I received the opportunity to have a loving relationship with the God of the universe. This is wild. That's why I love this series so much, because we've seen all these names of God and how awesome he is, and then sometimes we feel like, well, it's just maybe a little too big for me. But Jesus comes and he says, no, the God that's this big is the God, my father. I came from heaven to show you how to be in intimacy with that God, how to have relationship with him. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So he's letting us know that as God's children that we have a relationship as a parent would have with a child, especially a healthy parent with a healthy child. And so what he's talking about, he's talking about the intimacy that we can have with the father-child relationship. Now, <laughs> when I say that, some of you are going, really, Ron, you don't know what my father-child relationships were like. Or you don't know what it's like in our family. But I just want to say this is where God's saying, I want to show you what it's like. And I want to invite you into an intimate relationship with me. So as our Abba Pater, he is our dearest father, eager to walk with us through the ups and downs of life. See, there's just something beautiful, folks, about God being our adopted father. Adoptive father. And he's our adoptive father. You know, I've been through adoption. I know other people have done as well. And there's just something about being through the adoption experience that's like none other. And the love that you have for a child that you actually, let's just use the word, chose to bring into your family, into your home, that you might give them a place where they could know that they're valuable and loved and to have an identity. And so it's just the way that God does for us. He's invited us into his home so that we can have an identity. And so here's what's so cool about this. Here's what's cool. You can't adopt yourself. You can't do it. Only God can adopt you. Adoption is initiated by the one who's doing the adopting. And God initiated the relationship with us. He comes and he says, I want you in my family. I want you in my family. And there's just an instrument in this intimacy in the statement where we're able to say, God is my father. God is my father. He's my dearest father. And so that name, Abba Pater, it carries with this idea of intimacy with him. It assumes affection. It assumes access. It assumes perfection. It assumes that there is a father who's there for you. And out of this intimate relationship, then, that we can turn to God and we can pray to him as our father. Now, Paul used a word there in those verses, and he used the word cry, so that we cry out to him. Now, um... I remember when my children were young, and so when they were young, when they really had a need or they really were wanting my attention, that I knew it because of the level of the cry. And when it says here in Romans, and it uses the word cry there, Paul chose a word there that really it shows intense crying, intense yelling even toward God to say intensity that I'm going to cry out to him because he is my Abba Father. It's a bold cry. The only kind of cry that you could have if you knew you weren't going to be rejected. Right? 
You knew you weren't going to be rejected, so you could cry out boldly. And then Jesus comes and he says, okay, here's how you would address this Abba, Peter. He says then, you should pray, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the first time that anyone's heard this so far, as Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. Up until now, you can't even say not God's name out loud. But all of a sudden, now you get to say and call him our Father, our, our. It's like my Father. It's our collective Father. It's relationship. It's being in intimacy with him. So each time you say the Lord's Prayer, I found myself doing this this morning. I was coming here this morning, and I'm praying. I say, I've got to go through the Lord's Prayer every Sunday morning on the way to church. And so I was like, our Father, we're in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And so I was like, I hallowed be thy name before I realized, oh, I forgot the our Father. <laughs> and so it just went by so fast that I didn't really register in my mind that, oh, my father. And so because I, maybe because I was doing the talk, I stopped, changed gears, and focused in on the intimacy I have with him, being able to call him father. When you do that, when you call him that, you're saying that he is compassionate, he's personal, that he is intimate, and that he is your heavenly father. Okay, third idea is this. Third one is this. When God is my father, I have a new destiny. I have a new destiny. I have a new inheritance. Romans 8, 17 said this. Now if we are children, so that's the assumption, right? Here's the assumption. You are, you are, so this is not if you, you are, so you're children because you've accepted Christ. But if you've not accepted Christ, you're not. So if you've not said yes to Jesus Christ, you're God's creation. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you become God's child. And so here's what he's saying. If we are children, then we are heirs. So now I'm an heir. And I'm heirs with God, and I'm co-heirs with Christ. There's just so much richness here. There's just so much richness. See, one, there's going to be inheritance for those who are in Christ that will be more and greater than we can ever, ever, ever imagine. So just begin with that. Inheritance is greater. You mean Some of you may think you're going to get an inheritance someday, and you may look at it and say, oh, that's okay. Or some of you may go, oh, that's great. This is more than you could ever imagine and ever dream that's available for any one of us. And so often, when we come to this idea here of an inheritance, and we talk about us being heirs and co-heirs with Christ, so we, we separate ourselves from today, and we go into tomorrow. And for mo most of us, we're going into the tomorrow when we are no longer living, and that we are in heaven. And as we are in heaven, the end of times come, and during the end of times, then we are given our inheritance, because that's the way inheritances work is that you don't get it until there's a death, until there's an end. And so some of us, we live all of our lives thinking that's all about out there into the future that I'm looking at about being an heir or about inheritance. And so we get stuck in that. Someday out there in eternity, I will be an heir, a co-heir with Christ, and I will receive an inheritance. But I just want to say that that's not the picture. It's not the picture the Bible gives. The picture the Bible gives that that is a promise for right now. It's a promise for today. God has much more, way much more in mind that I would just sit around and got my ticket to heaven and I'd wait. And then one day I get to go to heaven and then I wait again and I wait for the, to be a co-heir with Christ. He, way, he has way much more in mind than that. He's talking about us learning that we can be heirs of his tenderness today. He's talking about us knowing that we can be an heir of his discipline now, that we can be an heir of his love now, that we can be an heir of his affection now, being an heir of his passionate love now. Right now, here today, we are heirs together. 
heirs together. You, we are heirs to you and I. If you are in Christ, we are all heirs together in this. And that's why I included these verses from 1 Thessalonians 3 that I want to end with. Paul writes, Now my God our Father, now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow to each other. Notice this is all about together, it's about what's happening in relationship and for everyone else. So not just for us, you know, we have a hundred people in the room, so we could just say it's just for us, but it's for everyone watching online who's part of our church, it's for everyone who's watching online who's a follower of Jesus, but he actually means everybody who's not yet a follower of Jesus. For everybody else. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow or abound for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So what he's saying here is he's saying this, and this is for those of us who are in the house, those of us who are watching online, who are part of the family. This is for us. This is what he's saying. He's saying our love for each other has to be bigger, has to be greater than our political positions. Our love for each other goes beyond all political positions. Our love for each other. Our love for each other has to go beyond our cultural divisions that are erected to divide us, even those who are part of this family. Our love for each other has to be greater than our personal opinions. Love comes first. Our love has to be greater. And God wants us to be heirs of the unity, the unity of Christ as we all come together. Just like every adoption, our adoption in Christ moves us into a blended family. We are part of a blended family full of brothers and sisters of all persuasions, all shapes, all sizes, all cultures, all colors, all ethnicities together. So that's the, that's the vision that God, the Bible gives us. And if you want to go out into heaven and look at the vision, just go read Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, it talks about every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be gathered together around the throne of Jesus Christ. That is our destiny. But it's just not for out there. God wants us to be part of that today. Our destiny, that we be around the throne, united in unity together. He wants us to embrace it now. And that's why I believe that Jesus, when he went on in the Lord's Prayer, other than our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the next thing he says is, your kingdom come. Your will be done on where? Earth. On earth as it is in heaven. So what the prayer is saying is it's saying this, God, bring the future down. Bring heaven's reality down. Bring it down and show me my role in bringing your kingdom with all its unity now. See, folks, I don't see how. I don't see how that we can possibly say that we love God and at the same time curse those who are made in his image. Just don't see how it's possible. How we can say we love God and at the same time curse those who are made in his image. This is the time right now that we're living in, this teeming with hatred and division and wall building and choosing sides and judgmentalism. And I just want to say at the same time, it's a great time for huge possibility of what God would want to do through his people who would say, love comes before my opinions. 
before my politics, before what culture says, that love comes first. There is no such thing as a vertical relationship with God without a horizontal relationship with people. Horizontal. It has to be both. It doesn't exist. You're fooling yourself if you think that it's possible. And so Jesus came, and it says in Ephesians, it says he broke down the dividing walls between people, but I say he's also broken down the dividing walls between heaven and earth so that heaven can come to earth. God's kingdom can come here. So let's just wrap up with this quote from J.I. Packer from Knowing God, talking about identity. Do I know my own real identity? My own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother and sister. This is the Christian secret of a happy life, living in that reality. And in Ephesians 5, Paul writes then, okay, follow God's example, people. Follow his example. Therefore, as dearly loved children... And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to end with this picture that I think um, really helps me to understand identity, probably more than anything I've ever seen. So you guys know Toy Story, right? Toy Story, we've all seen it. Maybe you'll going to go watch it today, even after I talk about this. But in Toy Story, remember who Woody is, a toy cowboy, and then Buzz Light, you know, Woody's the king, and then Buzz Lightyear comes to town, and all of a sudden Woody's been replaced in his mind by Andy, by Buzz Lightyear. And early in the movie, uh, Woody yells out to Buzz Lightyear in one of his moments of anger. He says, you're not a space ranger. You're an action figure, a child's plaything. He puts him in his place. And then Buzz Lightyear just goes right off of him, and then all of a sudden he decides he's going to try to fly. And he realizes the truth of Woody's statement. And at that moment, he's grief-stricken and he's disillusioned. And he hangs his head. If you remember the movie, he hangs his head. He actually sees it. It says, made in Taiwan on his arm. (laughs) And then he says this. He says, I'm just a stupid, little, insignificant toy. Woody heard that and he feels terrible about what he's said, how he's been part of helping his friend to be devalued and how he's been deflated him. And so what he said to him at that point is he said this. He said, oh, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz. There's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you're his. And at that moment, Buzz Lightyear looks down at his feet, and we see something like this. We see he's looking there, and on the bottom of his foot is written, Andy, And Woody has on the bottom of his foot, Andy. And they both realize at that point that they're brothers. They realize that they're in unity. And that they are valued because of what someone who's greater than them says about them. That says, I place my name on your foot. You know what God says about you? Here's what God says about you. He says, when you come to Christ, that he tattoos your name in his hand. He inscribes your name in his hand. So he goes even further and he says, I'm putting your name in my hand because you are my child. You are my child. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's just think about that as we pray together. And what I want to do is I want to ask each of us, if we would just ask Jesus to help us live securely 
and our identity as Abba's child, and that we would learn to live out the love he has for us for everyone else and that love to increase. So God, we come before you. We thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had today to hear your word, to be challenged by it. Father, we thank you so much for your people uh, who are here in the room, who are watching online. And now I just want to pray because I know there's somebody watching who's never said yes to Jesus. And so I pray for you today. I pray that today would be the day that you go from being a creation of God to being a child of God. And you would do it by simply saying, I receive what Jesus Christ brought to this earth to give. And that was his body and his blood to die for me on a cross that I could have life. I receive that. I confess that I have sinned. I could never earn it. And I want today to just put, say to God, God, I want to be your child. I want to be your adopted child. And that I want to live in relationship with you and have the identity of being your child, intimacy of being your child, and then I would have the destiny or the inheritance of being your child as well. And God, I just thank you so much, and I pray now that you would help us to never forget the words that we heard today, that you call us your beloved. Just as you said to Jesus Christ when he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the message you would have for each of us today. May we live with that reality. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.